your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to a gloomy Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to get in here. Lacrosse School Board meeting tonight, right after the show. Not on Wisdom, but you can check it out. Go to the school board agenda. It's linked on wisdomnews.com if you want to read about it. Uh, they're gonna looks like they're gonna pick try to vote on two plans, spending plans for the upcoming school year, but they don't know where the referendum is going to end up. So they got to do two plans. Uh, coming up on the show is the NRDC's Samantha Williams. She's the Midwest Director for the Climate and Clean Energy Program. We're going to talk about clean energy. We're going to talk about the transition to clean energy, whether it's sustainable. I think it is sustainable, whether, but, but, whether, right, whether, gloomy, raining. Uh, but whether or not the technology at this point is sustainable and get into to some of that stuff. Uh, a, 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 interview that I think we could do for multiple hours on multiple different subjects, but we try to hit a couple of different things, electric vehicles, uh, the power grid, uh, power companies, powering your home or heating your home, not powering. Well, powering your home kind of, but that's on the power companies, right? So uh, we'll get into that here in a couple minutes. But uh, another story, it's on wisdomnews.com. Republican National Committee sues Google over email spam filters. I thought this was a really... Kind of a funny story as the, the GOP National Committee has filed a lawsuit against tech giant Google, alleging the company has been suppressing its email solicitations ahead of November's midterm elections. And sure, sure, maybe maybe Google is doing that. Or maybe all our emails just figured out that we don't want those in our inbox. Man, if, if all those solicitation emails went to my inbox and barely any do get to my in inbox, you know, the like the main one, but they get to the junk filter, junk folder, or um, like Google's got a couple of different ones. My work one has got a couple of different ways. Some are primary, some are secondary, and then there's also junk. But if I go to my junk folder, my work junk folder right now, <laughs> this is all today. 923, 956, 1004, 1017, 1022, and 1045 a.m. The Save America Pack. Statement by Donald Trump, 45th president. Uh, half hour later, in case you missed it, Book of Limbaugh, radio commentator from the Save America Pack. Seven minutes later, Save America Pack. In case you missed it, Nolte, GOP, bolts a five-point lead. Twelve minutes later, the Save America Pack. In case you missed it, new PA poll shows Dr. Oz with a 45 uh, five minutes after that, the Save America pack. In case you missed it, Democrats out of gas on crime. <laughs> and then, and they waited a while there, 22 minutes after that, the Save America pack. In case you missed it, California wildfires cancel out. Um, so, and that's where, that's my junk, that's my junk folder from Thursday to now. It's only the Save America pack. And then, so I feel like maybe I'm not getting all the junk. Man, they have a lot. I haven't looked at my, who looks at their junk folder, right? But yeah, if I just keep scrolling down, it's all these different asking ways. Mandela Barnes asking for money. Uh, everybody's asking. Derek Van Orden asking for money. If I go to my personal email, it's it's a little bit more diverse because I'm uh, because I think my work email just gets to the political campaign somehow. 
I don't know how they do that, but it just it just all of a sudden I'm like, oh, another another email from a politician. I mean, I'm getting from Arizona all over the place, and it's just always like some threat that to America, and then pay you know send us you know even two dollars would help, and it's I don't know all makes me itchy, and I'm glad. Even if I'm glad, despite the GOP trying to sue Google because just their emails are going to the spam filter, I'm glad they are going to the spam filter. And it definitely isn't just uh, Google sending G- Republican emails uh, asking for my money to the spam filter. I appreciate that, regardless of uh, political affiliation there, which they say they are not doing that. It's just based on uh, you know how we check our email and what we click on. And if you don't click on something enough, it just ends up in your spam filter. I think people have figured that out by now. Apparently, everyone but the Republicans. Um, anyway, moving on. Like I said, uh, school board meeting at 6 p.m. tonight, trying to figure out a spending plan. Uh, there's also a cool story on wisdomnews.com from this weekend where they get out in the Crescent and dance in the streets. They dance to the to Thriller. I think that's really cool. Uh, that's on wisdomnews.com as well. All right, Sam Williams, Samantha Williams from the NRDC coming up. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. On the phone with me now is Samantha Williams. She is the Midwest Director for the Climate and Clean Energy Program for the NRDC. Uh, Samantha lives in Chicago. She works out of Chicago. I don't know if you live in Chicago, Samantha, but thank you for joining me. Thanks, Rick. Good to be here. I do indeed live in Chicago. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about clean energy. It could go from how I heat my house or cool my house, how I get to work, and how that energy gets to my house, I guess. And it's just the transition. We've been talking about this. I've been doing, I've been part of a couple of debates, watched a couple of debates. Uh, this is a political question a lot of the time. But first of all, you work for the NRDC. Can you explain to me what is the NRDC? Sure. The NRDC is the Natural Resources Defense Council. Uh, we've been around for 50 years and we have offices all across the country. Um, and the Midwest is. I like to think of as, as one of our, our best offices, um, definitely on the front lines of, of fighting climate change. And uh, our, our mission is to, is to fight climate change, fight the climate crisis, and in doing so, improve the lives of people. And so we are an environmental advocacy organization, and the folks that we um, employ are advocates, scientists, lawyers, and, you know, we work across this region to do the, basically the three things you were just talking about, Rick, um, trying to move our our energy to renewable power away from what is really dominated in the Midwest, um, fossil fuel, coal, and gas-fired power, uh, change the way that we move around, um, whether that be moving to electric vehicles, cars, trucks, buses, um, from internal combustion or other kinds of mobility options. I thought maybe and you then, meant. I thought maybe you meant like skipping instead of walking, just like we oh. should skip everywhere. <laughs> That's also an option. That's a nice carbon-free way of getting I mean, we would all be happier if everybody was skipping down the sidewalks, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out for those cracks. Don't step on them for sure. <laughs> um, and then the third one being, you know, right, right in your own home, there's a lot you can do as well to tackle climate change. It's something that people don't know as much about. But that's, that's what we do at NRDC. We are an advocacy organization, and we are um, working on the climate crisis. And in that regard, are you also because we need the powers that, that be that make the laws to to kind of push the, some of this stuff forward? Are you trying to influence policymakers as well? Oh, absolutely. That's the core of what we do. So um, we work on the design, implementation, passage of policy at the legislative level, 
um, also at the regulatory level as well. It's that's agencies that that um, folks probably don't know as much about, but that regulate utilities have a lot of power over you know over climate change, over the kinds of emissions from our economy, over what kinds of uh, generation resources are chosen in a particular state. So we influence those policies. All right. So and your expertise is in the clean energy transition. Okay, so the, and that in, includes like how I, I, mean, I kind of broke it down. How I heat our how we heat our homes, how we how we move, right? Electric vehicles. If you could snap your fingers and pick one, this is the transition we should start right here. This would be the biggest change we need. Where is there one? Can you point to one? Yeah, I mean, we really need to get to a net zero carbon or GHG emissions economy in the next several decades. So the the science on climate change tells us by 2050 we need to be at net zero emissions or even deeper than that. And the, the, the place to move the fastest is frankly our, our electric power, the way that we, the way that we generate our power, which in the Midwest has largely been through coal and gas plants. So if I could snap my fingers today um, to bring us a solution that would be the most impactful right now to, to put us on that path to tackling climate change, it would be moving, moving from that fossil dominant um, power generation to largely renewable power. All right. So um, essentially, getting there as fast as we can, you know, in the next in the next ten years. Oh, okay. So essentially, when I walk in my house, walk into work here, turn the lights on, how the lights turn on, uh, how my furnace that is mine is propane, but how my furnace turns on, like stuff like that, just how how things are powered, like, and then the who who is providing that power is this, is that essentially that's where we would start first. Yeah, I mean, it's the entire electric grid. So you have these giant power plants. Historically, this is how the power grid has worked for the last hundred years. Um, you know, producing power in, you know, in a one-way flow to, to your house. Um, and that is, you know, that's getting your lights to turn on, that's, you know, powering your coffee maker, or that's, you know, your hot water heater, et cetera. And, you know, the vision for a clean energy transition is to have most of that coming from wind and solar, um, battery storage as well, so that when the sun is shining and the wind isn't blowing, we can still have power. Now, Rick, you also mentioned heating your home. That's a, somewhat of a different issue because a lot of folks in Wisconsin, as, as well as across the Midwest, they don't actually rely on their electric grid to heat their home. A lot of folks in the Midwest use, just have gas furnaces. Yep. And that's just, yeah, that's just from the gas pipelines. And that's kind of a different issue. Um, so you are actually burning gas in your home to produce that heat. And that's another source of greenhouse gas emissions. It's another source of emissions that that both are happen within your own home, but also go out into the atmosphere and contribute to climate change. And so that's another place um, for us to be watchful in the Midwest and another transition that we're trying to make happen. All right. So and, I'll give, I, I'm going to give yeah, you yeah, two things ahead. real quick when you talk about power, power plants, essentially. Yep. So two, two stories for 2022. They're not all that recent, but they're state regulators approve a $171 million gas plant near Wausau despite objections mm-hmm. to the project. And then proposed $700 million Wisconsin gas plant survives legal hur- hurdles. So this gas plant would be a combined cycle natural gas energy plant. This one's $700 million. That one's up in Superior, Wisconsin. So way up. And Wausau is, is two hours north of Madison. So <laughs> this is not the transition I don't think you, you want to see. This is not a transition nah, period. Not exactly, Rick. No, no. I mean, gas has been has been called a bridge fuel in the power sector, but we are really long since past having that perspective. Um, frankly, we have too many gas plants built today. If we are really going to be successful in transitioning our electric power to zero emissions, as clean as we can possibly get it, 
we're going to need to really get serious about moving off of gas just as much as we've become, begun moving off of coal. You know, the last 10 years in the Midwest, we've shut down over half of our coal plants. We're going to probably need to see a similar transition with gas in the coming decades because gas is not a clean fuel. Um, it is less carbon intensive than coal, but when you burn it produ- to produce power, it still emits a ton of carbon. And again, when we're looking at getting our economy to a zero, as, as close to zero carbon emissions as, as humanly possible, there's really no room for error there. And so the fleet of gas plants that we have, those two plants that you were just talking about that are being built, you know, we're going to need to see that shrinking um, and, and pretty fast as well. And, you know, hopefully we can get enough wind and solar built to, to replace that, you know, to fill that gap. And energy storage is also an, another big solution to help provide some backup for renewables, the kind of backup that I think, you know, some folks have talked about gas providing. You know, there's other ways to do that. Um, and if you want to talk about this, Rick, in this session, too, you know, there's, there's federal funds as well, federal tax incentives that have been passed in the last year by Congress that are helping, you know, make some of this transition a reality as well as we think about moving past gas. All right. Before I ask you, you know, is the infrastructure there? Can it be there? And do we have the technology? Um, We mentioned 2050, I think a couple of times. Okay. Why, why do we need to make the transition? What, what happens in 2050 or what, you know, why, why, why do we need to, what are, (laughs) what are burning all these fuels doing to us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, when I say things like um, getting to zero emissions by 2050, you know, is what the science on climate change dictates. What I mean is that scientists from around the globe have gotten together, and they get together on a regular basis. They're called the International Panel on Climate Change. They're a project of the UN, and they review the science on climate. And they look at decades upon decades of data showing that humans burning fossil fuels for power, in our cars, in our homes, that we have actually caused the climate to change. You know, we have more carbon emissions concentration in our atmosphere now than we've ever had. And that science on climate change is not just about identifying the problem, which is human-caused climate change, but also identifying solutions. And the solutions are putting us on this path to cut emissions by a date certain Um, And that's what happens when, you know, the world gets together at these climate change conferences. When the U.S. rejoined the Paris Climate Accord, it means that we are trying to work with the rest of the globe to address climate change. Um, We're trying to harness these solutions. And this clean energy transition is a big is is a leading part of that solution. And if we don't, you know, I like to focus on the opportunities here of tackling climate change. But I think further to your question, if we don't do this, if we don't get our emissions down to as, as close to zero as possible, we will see average global temperatures rise. And, you know, there's a difference between a two-degree rise and a three-degree rise and a four-degree rise. And I will just tell you, Rick, that I would much rather live in a world where our temperature has risen globally on average by two degrees than four degrees. You know, we're seeing those impacts. We're seeing those impacts here in the U.S., you know, more intense storms. We're seeing intense heat waves. Um, we are trying to mitigate those impacts of climate change. And we're also trying to harness the solutions, which can bring a ton of benefits to people in the U.S., even beyond tackling climate. Yeah, and when, when the uh, temperature rises two degrees, everyone's going to have to move to Duluth so or Superior. Right. <laughs> that beautiful climate haven of Duluth. Yeah, and exactly. it snowed there last this week. So just so you guys know, it snowed. And, and then it won't. We had it flurries won't. in Chicago this week. And it, well. it wouldn't snow in 2050, I guess, in Duluth. It'd be 
It'd be great. It'd be great to live there. Um, okay, so let's let's just pick one of these things. Like, okay, power plants. Can we we talk? Okay, I'll, I want to bring up electric vehicles. You brought up electric vehicles. Um, everybody always brings. If I talk electric vehicles, everyone always says, "Well, if we're all in electric vehicles, then the grid fails because we all plug in our cars at six o'clock when we get home, and then nobody has any electricity." <laughs> that's always the thing because that's what happened in California. <laughs> Rick, is there a question in there? Well, you laugh, so I guess. I mean, <laughs> okay. I mean, well, we're talking about like a transition. Yeah. The infrastructure yeah. transition would be the, the 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 ability. I have no idea. Does if everyone plugged in their electric car at six 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 o'clock, is the grid going to fail? When when people tell me this happens in California, I go, well, this happens in Wisconsin too. When it's ninety degrees six days in a row, my power company sends me an email and says, "Hey, can you just turn your AC down when you're at work because." Uh, it's peak right. hours and everybody's using their AC and that'll, you know, that's straining the system. This is kind of the same deal, but I, right. I don't know. I guess I need an expert to tell them because they don't believe me. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll just say a few things on this. First of all, the electric grid is built to the highest peak use day. So whatever day it will be, you know, the hottest with everyone cranking their air conditioners, et cetera, that is the, the peak that the grid is built towards. The nature of a transition is that we have to actually invest in the transition so if anyone tells you that the transition to electric vehicles and also plugging in your furnace, because I think that's also part of this transition in your home, too, is going from a gas furnace to an electric furnace. Yeah. If someone were to say to you that that does not have impacts on the grid that we need to manage, um, I, 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 that's, not, that's, not, that's a bit disingenuous. That said, I don't think we can just make this leap, right, that there is suddenly going to be huge problems because of that. This is what a managed transition is all about. And so in the utility community, we're having active conversations about how do we model what a high EV load could look like at a certain time of day and also a high heating load. Um, how do we actually manage that? How do we design electric rates, for example, so that you as a consumer are incented to go and plug your car in at night when fewer people are drawing off the electric grid and actually when the wind is blowing too and you can have pretty clean clean charging, how do we get people to shift their load and also for the utility to be able to do that on their own as well? Like these are active conversations that are being had. This is what our regulators are for. This is what policy is for. And so it's not like we can snap our fingers today and just have this done, but we need to work on that transition to the grid to make sure that it can accommodate that load and do it in a smart way. And if we can do that, we can actually reduce energy rates for people across the board because there'll be more people using power um, that's an economy of scale across the electric system. Rates can go down. And so we have to actually harness that planning and policy to make this a reality. We're speaking with Samantha Williams. She's the Midwest Director of the Climate and Clean Energy Program for the NRDC. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Samantha Williams on with me. She's the Midwest Director of the Climate and Clean Energy Program for the NRDC. She's based out of Chicago. How is traffic, Samantha, going to work every day? Uh, we, we often complain about five minutes of traffic. We have to wait an extra five minutes during quote-unquote <laughs> rush hour here. I always just like to make the joke because I'll, while, while, you, while you sit in traffic waiting to get home or get to work maybe in Chicago, you're probably also stewing because everyone's driving a, a gas-powered vehicle. Well, Rick, I actually take the train, to be perfectly honest. So I, I haven't stewed on this in a little while, but you I would, take, would be if I was sitting in traffic. You <laughs> would take a train. Of course you would. 
Uh, what was I thinking? Um, Our transit system's great here. All right. So we're talking about the transition to clean energy. And I, I've i often said we're doing this in baby steps or hopefully we're doing. Are we even doing this in baby steps? And do we need to start taking bigger steps? I bring up the what about Bob analogy all the time. Baby steps to get to, to the train, you know, like whatever. If you've seen what about Bob, I don't know. But uh, but but do we? I'm sailing. Of course, I've seen it. Yeah, the whole the whole premise of the show is baby steps, right? And he gets to go sailing. But when when we're sailing as a as a country, what like are we are we able to take baby steps at this point? Are we even taking baby steps? And do we need to be skipping? Like I said earlier. I mean, on 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 clean power, on the the way that we produce our electricity. Frankly, baby steps are no longer an option. That is really the place where we have to go as fast as we can. And if we and and that that also is is why we have goals from, for example, you know, the federal level saying that we need to get to 100 percent clean power in the U.S. by 2035. It's because the vision here is to take the electric power sector and quite literally plug everything else into it that we can, including our cars, including our homes, industry. So if we delay on cleaning up that power sector it's going to make everything else a lot harder to, to cut carbon emissions from. So, you know, baby steps on other things maybe, but probably not on the clean energy transition. All right. Well, and how funny is it that this is controversial, the fact that we shouldn't be uh, internal combusting our cars or heating our homes with gas powered? I mean, imagine if all, all our phones and laptops and stuff were powered by an internal combustion engine or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in Chicago, you walk down the street and you still see in some of the larger apartment buildings little coal chutes where they used to pour coal into the furnaces in the building. People were breathing that in. So, yeah, imagine if you were combusting a fossil fuel right next to your face to power your laptop. I mean, and that's sort of what what we're talking about with respect to, you know, trucks and buses barreling down people's streets. I mean, they're breathing in diesel fumes, and that's extremely, extremely polluting. All right. You said in the first half of the show that the first step would be to have our power company, companies essentially transist to clean energy. And now you said that they need to do that and not baby steps. We need to really take maybe leaps and bounds in, in doing that. What would that entail? Is it like wind farms everywhere, solar farms everywhere? Do we like do we even have the land to build enough solar panels to power everybody? We do, Rick. So it would be a combination of wind and solar Battery storage is also part of that. And, and again, building as much as we can in the next decade. There's a lot of debate about how you get the, the, our electric power production to 100% clean, to get all the way there. Um, we, talk, we talk a lot about that. But the, the, the reality of the matter is that with the technology that we have today, so wind, solar, battery storage, um, and, and just grid management in general that can also just help make those resources more effective um, and more nimble. We can get most of the way there. We can get 90% of the way there. And that final 5%, 10%, you know, is something we can figure out in a decade or so. Um, I think that would be a great problem to have is to get to 70 80 90% renewables on our system and then be talking about, all right, we've gotten this far. How do we squeeze the rest of these fossil emissions, you know, out of this power sector? Do we have the technology for all of this? I mean, you talk, you mentioned battery storage and, and ways that we store the energy a couple of different times. When I look at buying an electric car, first of all, they're like way more. It's about three or four times more expensive than the car I just bought a couple of years ago. And then also when I buy this electric <laughs> car, 
like two, three years ago, I was looking at it. And then two, three years later, the electric car is going to go a hundred more miles per battery or per charge or whatever. So I'm like, well, if I wait two more years, I'm going to get 200 more miles per charge. So the technology is changing so fast that it's and the thing is so expensive. So if I buy a sixty thousand dollar EV today in two years, it's going to go 100 miles or 200 miles less than the one I buy two years from now. I mean, I, Rick, you, I think you hit upon a really important point, which is the pace of the technology innovation is really stunning. And so when I talk about batteries on the electric, electric system, they've advanced, they've gotten cheaper. And a big reason for that is the batteries that are also being developed for cars. They're kind of on a parallel track of advancement and the cost becoming more competitive. Um, so that's happening. And so with cars, you know, the costs have come way down. And we also have, with the Federal Inflation Reduction Act, um, new rebates for people that want to purchase, for Americans that want to purchase electric cars. There's money coming from the Inflation re- um, the the, uh, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act to build public charging in every state in America. I mean, this stuff is, is really starting to become more of a reality that you could you could get an electric car affordably and drive it to where you need to get to. Um, and find charging along the way. Um, but then when you think about the power sector, kind of switching gears a little bit and batteries for um, to support wind and solar on the grid, yeah. there's been so much advancement in that technology as well. And what we really need to get to is the kind of battery storage that gets us through days and weeks um, of power outages. And, you know, those are not available now, but there are, you know, there's a lot of investment going into that kind of technology. There's some really exciting breakthroughs and, um, those of us in the energy policy um, community are really excited about it. Yeah, the battery the, the battery talk is also all, always interesting because it's like, well, what happens in 10 years when I can't use that battery anymore? What happens to that waste, the e-waste of a battery? And I'm like, well, in 10 years, God, who knows? Because the battery keeps changing. I don't even know if we'll be using those batteries. And that's always interesting, too. If we're going to invest in all this infrastructure to switch our grid to this clean energy in two years, are we going to have to reinvest in some new technology that came along that's 100 times better? Well, wind and solar are, are going to be the technologies that will dominate the grid. And so I think it's really the, the flavor of the battery storage or other kinds of storage that we're going to see on the grid that is really the new innovation but, I mean, we are going to need to invest in the power grid. Mm-hmm. I mean, to have to go from what has been a gas and and um, and coal dominated system to something that is much more dynamic um, and is not based on the burning of fossil fuels will require investments. But it's also also an extraordinary opportunity. Um, it's a huge, huge job creator, huge um, opportunities in the clean energy economy. And you know, this is again why we saw the Inflation Reduction Act pass in Congress because of that recognition that. As we clean up the power sector, move to EVs, et cetera, and do these things that are core to tackling the climate crisis, we're actually creating all of these excellent, tremendous benefits for the U.S. economy as well. All right. So let's let's go back to the transition. Why is this controversial? Because we're going we're going from a thing that where we we pull a fluid or a gas out of the ground. And that's controversial if you want to talk about fracking. Or we're going and we're getting this from maybe like Saudi Arabia and then we're transporting it. However, we're transporting it to from one place to the other to refine it. And then however, we're transporting that from one place to the other to to get it into my car's gasoline tank or the propane tank that I have sitting outside my house. Mm-hmm. Why is this controversial? And then we burn it. Right. And then we burn it. And clearly we know what happens when we burn it versus we put up some solar panels or we put up a wind farm and then we just harness everything that's there's no controversy in harnessing 
wind. There's no, there, we're not selling the sun yet. I don't know. Are we going to capitalize? Are we going to capitalism the sun at some point, Samantha? I mean, it's, the controversy <laughs> it's, this, of this seems so stupid. But somehow we've all been duped into thinking, no, we can't be, we can't be getting rid of uh, the gas and think about how we get the gas to our gas tanks, all that transition, and then go from that to. We're going to power our cars based on the sun, but that would if, if we had a utopia, the the way we would harness the sun and the wind, all this crap would be free. We wouldn't even have to think about how much it would cost to to heat our home or, or fill our car with electricity, right? <laughs> I think when when we see the sun doing an IPO, that's when we can just kind of pack up humanity for good. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> so any transition has an incumbent interest that is used to and invested in the way things were and have been and used to be and is resistant is, is, and is resistant to change. And I don't mean to be reductive or overly simplistic with that statement, but I, I do think that is, is often the core of why this transition to clean power seems controversial. Um, it may seem sci-fi to power your home up of solar power, but we are, we've proven it now. Solar and wind um, dominate in a lot of states now. Um, when you look at the, the new energy additions to the grid in the last few years and going into the next 10, solar is really going gangbusters. Um, and so whether try, trying to sort of unpack this controversy, I think it's really about the politics. Um, you know, and it's really about whose interests are being impacted um, and who is going to lose out and who is going to gain in that transition. Um, and, you know, I think that we've seen pretty clearly in the last few years how, how risky it is to extract and process and transport and then burn a fossil fuel. Um, there's so many places along the way where that can go wrong. You know, even if we take the impacts of climate change um, away from the equation, you know, uh, look at what happened in Texas with um, – their freeze in February a few years ago. Um, you know, when you have to transport fossil fuels from where they're taken or where they're extracted to where they need to be actually burned and used um, to produce power, it's actually a pretty risky proposition. We're oh. also in a situation now, this global um, energy crisis um, that, that Russia has created and, and, and their invasion of Ukraine, um, destabilizing, you know, all these energy markets. And the U.S. is, well, our, our natural gas um, industry is wrapped up in that. Uh, the nice thing about the wind, about and the wind and the sun, is that there is no fuel cost associated with them. All you need is the infrastructure to help harness them, and then transport those electrons from where they have been produced to where they are needed. And there's a lot of security in that kind of production of electricity. Security that I just don't think we can we can say is present any longer with the burning of fossil fuels. I love how you just floated over. It was freezing in Texas and shut down the grid. <laughs> but you did say we're going to we're going to ignore the effects of climate change uh, and just talk about the grid itself. Um, you can certainly dig into that if you want. To. Uh, <laughs> okay. But I, I think our listeners understand what an uh, anomaly that was and, and why that happened. Um, when it comes to, I think people kind of see the transition to electric vehicles, electric heating our homes elect with electricity, maybe a little bit different. Would there be a battery in our house that would store this stuff or, or would we just, would it just run the way, the way everything else runs? 
Yeah, I mean, it depends on like what system in your house you're talking about. So if you're trying to um, supplement the electric power that your utility would normally provide for you, if you're trying to, to do that with rooftop solar, for example, um, it would be smart to pair that with a battery. The costs have become really competitive for putting those, those two things together and to get financing for it. Um, but if you're talking about things like the way you heat your home, your, which is your, typically your gas furnace, um, or even your gas water heater, that is moving to an electric heat pump. And so typically you don't use storage for those, um, but they are, it's a, it's a technology that's been around for a long time, but they are, um, it's really advanced. It's extremely, extremely energy efficient. Um, and it runs off of the grid. And so the theory is that the grid, the electric grid gets increasingly clean, running on wind, solar, right. battery storage, et cetera. Um, moving from burning a fossil fuel in your home to heat your home to this heat pump and pulling off of an increasingly clean grid is going to be a, a, a net positive for the environment. And also for your health, because combusting a fossil fuel in your home releases pollutants into your house as well that are quite dangerous. Yeah, I That's live in the we're talking about when we talk about home electrification. I live in the woods, so the idea of having solar panels doesn't is not going to work for me. But um, yeah, and that's where we get back to. And I got to wrap up here pretty quick. But that's where we get back to the transition needs to start with the people that are providing us the energy. So the power companies need to go to make to make these leaps. And then what do we have to have politics incentivize these power companies to make this transition? Policy matters so much here in this transition. Um, that's why, again, I, I know I keep bringing up uh, Congress and the Inflation Reduction Act, but those incentives, those tax incentives, in addition to, frankly, free money and rebates for clean energy, for all the things we've been talking about, Rick, um, are really, really important to help get people to that next phase and, you know, make the clean energy transition even more economically um, advantageous. But, yeah, in a lot of states, we've also put in place requirements that utilities move faster to clean power. Do- that they start providing electric vehicle, you know, incentives to people in their state. You know, we've done this in other parts of the Midwest. And frankly, with the pace that we have to move on moving on, 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 on transitioning to clean power, we're going to need some of those policies in place in addition to the incentives to get there. Do, do utility companies even want to do that? Because like I said, if we get to a utopia where the energy that we get is free and then we store it somehow uh, and the costs come down, they don't make any money. <laughs> so is that true or not? Would they, if this was all perfect, well, would they make money? Because we, they got to make money. Well, we're still talking about an electric grid. I mean, the electric grid doesn't just go away because you have wind and solar. Wind and solar now become the resources that are powering the electric grid, that are producing the electrons that go along the grid and send that power to your house. So the grid's still there. And the utilities own the grid. And in some states, including Wisconsin, they also are probably going to own a lot of the wind and solar, in addition to, you know, some of the rooftop solar that, you know, some of your neighbors might also own and contribute. So, you know, they're going to be part of this transition, too. And a lot of utilities have made their own commitments to transition to clean power. And I would say the wild card here, Rick, is, is not whether utilities recognize the need to make this transition, but how fast they're willing to go. And as an advocate, we push to make that transition faster. We push utilities to look harder at the numbers, see that the economics of renewable power really are in the favor of making that transition, and we push hard to make it happen. Um, so utilities are on board with this, but we need, to, we need to push them to get them on a bit of a faster track. All right. That's Samantha Williams, the Midwest Director for the Climate and Clean Energy Program for the NRDC. Samantha, thank you so much for spending the hour with us. Thank you, Rick. Really appreciate it. All right, we'll be back after this. 
All right, that's going to wrap things up for Lacrosse Talk PM. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Sam and Samantha Williams with the NRDC. Coming up tomorrow, Kim Cable from the Lacrosse County Board. And also, she works at Cooley Cap, one of the groups in town that's trying to help homeless people. And we're just a couple of days away from the Huska Park plan ending and uh, those people having to move out of the Huska Park. It's no longer going to be deemed a campground. And where will those people go? We'll talk to Kim Cable about what, you know, the how lacrosse is right now. What the, what's the situation with the homeless population and what, where, the, where the city is at and where the county is at. Obviously, the county board just passed some legislation last week to help the homeless. Anyway, thanks, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow.